Welcome to another episode of BuddyCast. Folks, hey. we have a great one today. Let me tell you, I've got my list here, and this lady has done it all. From comedy work to missionary work. This woman's incredible, so I can't wait to get this show on the road. I introduce to you my new friend, Bueno. How you doing today? I'm fine, Nick, although a bit cold in Wales. Yeah, it's cold here in Erie, too, so. I bet. I you know how you feel. We're getting into that season. Soon we'll, the, soon we'll see the white stuff on the ground. We don't get much of that. We just get rain. But that's Lucky. why Wales is beautiful and green. Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about Wales. Well, Wales from top to bottom is about 200 miles long, but we have the most spectacular scenery in the entire world in such a small place. We have fabulous beaches, incredible um countryside really long lush flowing meadows we have incredible coastline we have fabulous mountains up in the snowdonia mountain range we have everything that you could want to live in a really beautiful place apart from the fact that we have a lot of rain uh, uh we don't have quite as much rain as ireland but we do have a lot of rain we have our own language which is the welsh language and i grew up being a mother tongue Welsh speaker and I'm mm. passionately proud to be a Welsh speaker and I try everything possible to try and promote it and have done lots of things over the years so mm. there's Wales for you in a nutshell nice you know one part about Wales that you told me about that I'm really ecstatic over is Saint uh, David oh yes I believe you wrote the anthem for that day well let me tell you a little bit about who St. David is. He was um, uh, a monk who uh, grew up in Pembrokeshire, in St. David's, where I also grew up. And uh, he performed miracles. For example, he transformed someone's sight. Uh, apparently, when he was born, he, uh, his mother, um, the, the rock was slashed in two by a bolt of lightning, and he was born on that particular day. He went to a place and uh he stood on a little piece of ground and the ground raised up underneath him and so he's our patron saint we celebrate saint david's day on march the first now up until a certain time what we did on march the first we had something called an eisteddfod so every single school had an eisteddfod which means cultural festival so what would happen is that the kids would go into the school hall they'd have singing competitions they'd have recitation competitions and that would be the way that they would um, um, uh, celebrate predominantly in the schools the children would dress up in little welsh costumes and the little girls would have chimney uh, black chimney hats and wear uh, little costumes made out of um breath in which is like tapestry material and the boys would wear culottes and little flat hats but nowadays they wear uh, red rugby jerseys so that's how we used to celebrate it and essentially uh, there was another a couple of elements we used to have something called cowl kenin which is uh, leek soup and also picker of mine which are little uh, tasty uh, little cakes with uh, raisins or currants in them Ooh. and that would be about it really but in 2004, some people had got together and they had organized a parade for St. David's Day. And mm -hmm. that was held in Cardiff. It was the National St. David's Day Parade. I didn't hear about it until the year afterwards. And I joined uh, the parade. And when I was walking along on in 2005, 
I was banging a bell, which was called uh, Bangi, which was a direct model of the uh, sort of bell that St. David used to have uh, ringing. It was a metal bell with a wooden clapper, and I was banging this, and I was thinking, we need a song. So as I'm a songwriter, I came up with an idea for a song. It literally hit me like a bolt of lightning. I was uh, just walking up a street in Cardiff, and it was directly opposite Cardiff Market, which is where one of our great heroes was hanged for um, corruption. And uh, so I went away. I wrote the, uh, the words in, in English and in Welsh, and I'll tell you why in a second. I took them to my songwriting partner at the time, Helen Thomas, and I said, I want a song that can be sung by children, by choirs, uh, can be played by um, by orchestras and brass bands can be uh, performed in Wales, can be performed anywhere. And she came up with the music. Uh, we then took it to the parade committee. And the next year, Helen played the piano and I sang the song. And since that time, it's been adopted and taken on board by lots of people. Um, the manuscript is now available in Cardiff in a place called uh, Tikerv and that's in the Millennium Centre. So it's come an awful long way in those 15 years, this anthem for St David's Day, and I'm very mm -hmm. proud. Hailwen didn't want to um, have anything to do with the development of it, but I did. I, want, I could see that it could go places. And as a result of that, it's also created uh, three, it's become a, a part of three county banners that I've instigated, one for Pembrokeshire, one for Carmarthenshire, and one for Montgomeryshire. And they're all based on the words and images of the St David's Day Anthem words. And they're now taken, there are parades all over Wales. By now there are about 22 parades on St David's Day. And uh, it's a bit of a, a short story to, to tell you uh, what has happened because obviously it just didn't happen like that. It was a tremendous amount of voluntary work and organisation, but the song has been central in the growth of all of these things. It's the only thing that you can use to create your own celebration anywhere. And it's been performed in Canada, in Los Angeles, in Patagonia, in South America, Disneyland Paris, Houses Ooh. of Parliament, St David's Cathedral. Uh, it's been performed all over the place. So I'm extremely proud of that. And uh, uh, I have to say that there's um, all of the details about that is in a, a little book. It's, in a, it's a Welsh book and it says uh, today, yesterday and St David's Day. And this is a picture there of Hilwen and myself, the oh. children on the parade. And there you have the county banner, the Pembrokeshire county banner there. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have the Carmarthenshire banner and the Montgomeryshire banner. And that is the very first school banner, which went into a national... A history museum which is called San Fagans and that went in there last year so I'm very very proud of all the work that I've done because it's all been voluntary there hasn't been any payments but I've done it because I feel passionately about the Welsh language and I, I said that I'd done two versions we only have 20% of all people in Wales who speak Welsh but I also feel that there are the other 80% feel passionately about being Welsh. And it's for those people that I wrote an English version. So there, there are specific areas in Wales where the Welsh language isn't as strong. 
predominantly in South Pembrokeshire, which is where I'm from. So if they chose to sing the St. David's Day Anthem, there is a, a version that they can sing, although the definitive version is the Welsh language one. That was beautiful. Thank you. Really awesome. Truly really awesome. I like how you wanted it to be a song for everyone, not just one of those, like, not just another church song or another, like, you know, uh, adult song or some sort. You wanted it to be for kids, too. That was beautiful. Oh, no, it had to be, it had to be for kids because the yeah. thing is, see, now what they do is they, uh, uh, several schools actually have a parade around the school with their school banners the Ooh. one I've shown you there, they have school banners or they'll have class banners. They will sing the St. David's Day Anthem. They will go then and all their parents will be outside and they'll be uh, willing them on and say, yes, so there's my little Johnny. And so they go into the classroom and then they will have their service. They'll have their picking on uh, picker of mine, the Welsh cakes, and then they will also have their esteved and so it's now a bolt-on tradition that all the schools in Wales can actually use if they so choose. Nice. That yeah. would sound like a fun school day for me, you know. <laughs> mm -hmm. Now, speaking of your proud work, you are also an author, am I correct? I am. Yes, tell us about your book. Well, okay, I've got the book here. Uh, look at that. It's called Stand Up and Sock It to Them, Sister. Uh, we're in the process at the moment of uh, changing the, um, the, the publishers. So it is available um, on Amazon at the moment, although how long it will be, I don't know. Um, but it's uh, uh, an in-depth study of women in comedy. I started it as a master's um, uh, project when I was doing a master's degree in women's studies back in 1994-96. And at that time, we had to look at women working in a non-traditional environment. So that was an environment which was predominantly male, but there were women making progress in that direction. And one of my passions, I have loads of them, so we can talk all day. Uh, one of my passions is comedy. And uh, I wanted uh, to look at uh, stand-up comedy because I'd done lots of comic roles in my, my working life as a performer, but I hadn't done any stand-up comedy because I, I didn't know how to do it. I was a bit scared. I thought it was, oh, my God, I can't do this. So I just wanted to find out what were the barriers? Why were there so few women doing it? There were At that time, there was about 15, 10 to 15% uh, female uh, stand-up comics. Now, although now in Britain you have way more people generally doing stand-up comedy, the figure is no different now to, to what it was then, which is 10 to 15 percent. So I wanted to find out what the barriers were stopping women from uh, being successful in this um, medium. And um, I could have used any any uh, profession. I could have used um, education, politics, architecture, uh, whatever. I could have chosen anything, the law. I could have chosen anything at all because the glass barrier is the glass ceiling in any profession. So what I did find out was um, what's stopping women from progressing, end of although it was about women in comedy. Now, I started off with five people in the 1996, uh, and that grew to 94 people that I eventually 
um, interviewed, 65 of whom were female stand-up comics working on the comedy scene. One of them has became a, um, become a really good friend, and she's called Tanya Lee Davis. And she's a small person. She calls herself a midget, and I know that some people find that offensive, but she calls herself a midget. And uh, we've been friends for a good 15 years now, I think. Mm -hmm. And uh, she is she is such a phenomenal role model. Uh, she just travels the world extensively, and I'm very, very proud to know her. And That's she's a great friend. Yeah. Hey, speaking of friends, you and me have a mutual friend in common. Yes, Mr. we do. Lou. Lou. Know him. Lovely Lou. Yes. Well, I've never met Lou, and, uh, mm. unfortunately, but I hope to meet him before long. Uh, I hope our paths will cross because uh, I've become very fond of him. And basically, um, one of the people I interviewed for the book was called um, Jeff Scott. And he's the resident pianist and MC at the world famous comedy store on Sunset Boulevard. And he was very helpful because he enabled me to uh, get in contact with people like Tanya Lee Davis, who then helped me with other people. Uh, so um, Jeff was very, very, very crucial for the book because he gave me a way in to American comics. And so I'm very grateful to Jeff for that. Now, when the book came out, um, I, I told Jeff and I told him about him. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, this guy called Ludek contacted me. And he said that he was one of um, the original comics in... Uh, the comedy store he was one of mitzi shaw's boys and he had been a professional performer for oh, many many years probably around 40 i'm not quite sure really um and he had so many accolades to his name and he said he absolutely loved the book and uh since that time he's become my comedy guru and we talk on a regular basis and um that's where the friendship started, really. So uh, we we have a, um, a regular little chats on Zoom, and um, I hope one day that either he will come to Britain or I will go over there. So mm. that's how it started. But he is quite prolific, and he has been so good at mentoring people. And he also has written a book about comedy, but the intricacies and the ins and outs of how to do it, whereas this is my book is more to what barriers have people overcome and mm. also really interesting stories about their lives so it's a different sort of book that we've written um so that's how i met him well i have met him <laughs> that yeah. was awesome truly amazing lou's a great guy he really is he's that guy yeah. he's that guy that would really stand up for you but at the same time would you know isn't afraid to go do his own thing you know isn't afraid to go up in stage and do his own spiel but then again be on the side stage mentoring you you see what i did up there see how i did it that's yeah. what you need to do yeah speaking of performing um you yourself have done a tad bit of comedy and a also a one woman show yes about, i have yes let's talk about the show i believe it's a show about a french singer slash performer am i correct yeah. absolutely and uh, she was at one time pretty famous in america her name is edith piaf and mm -hmm. when i went to belgium in the late 70s early 80s i went there to be an au pair and then i started singing with some uh, french hungarian brothers who'd been born in paris 
who lived in Belgium and were totally passionate about Celtic music. And I sang with them. And because I didn't have a full-time job at the time, I was teaching English in, as a foreign language, but I also started busking. So when I was busking, I heard about this French singer and she was called Edith Piaf. And I read about her and I thought, well, if she can do it, I could do it. So that was when my love affair with Edith Piaf began, probably when I was about 22. And I read about her, I heard about her music. I went to Père Lachaise, to her, uh, to the grave. And that's when it all started to take a hold of me, really. Now, when I came back to Britain, I came back in 1983, and that was it was because my brother was dying, unfortunately, of Hodgkin's disease. And what was quite ironic was that when I was in Belgium, I often used to sing Welsh songs because I, I bought a guitar, taught myself how to play guitar, and uh, went and sang in restaurants and also on the street. And when I came back here, what was ironic was that they wanted me to sing in French. So I was, um, I started singing French songs. I was singing in an international cabaret and singing some Italian, some Spanish, some German and some French songs. As a result of that, I was invited to sing, um, take the role of Edith Piaf in a theatre performance. And that had tremendous accolades. And as a result of that, somebody asked me, will you come and do that show up in North Wales? I said, well, I can't do that show because the show no longer exists. It's been disbanded, but you did it for a week and then it finished. And she says, oh, please, will you come? I've heard it's such great things about it. And I said, oh, well, I'll write one then. And I've never written anything in my life, <laughs> nothing. Well, I've been, I'd written little plays for kids in because I used to direct theatre and education as well. So I'd written plays for kids and I'd written a few lyrics, but they weren't very good. And anyway, so I thought, oh, well, OK, I'll write a woman, one woman show. So I wrote a one woman show and I performed it. And that was back in 1989. And it was extremely well received, extremely well received. And I did it um, a little um, here and there around Wales. And then life got in the way. I ended up having uh, my daughter and um, changed direction because um, when you get your mid-30s as a woman, up until that time, I had plenty of work as a performer, as an actor, uh, doing theatre and education, doing films through the medium of Welsh, all sorts of things, radio, television. There was loads to do. And then by the time you get to 35, then there is far less work for women. And that was something I'd worked out for in this book as well. But I actually had first-hand experience myself. So that's why I went to university to do a master's degree, because I wanted to make films about women. So uh, so everything got, got put to one side. I forgot about the show and everything else. Um, so did the master's degree, uh, changed direction, went to do equal opportunities work for 10 years, didn't do an awful lot of performance, just every now and again, people would say, oh, will you come and sing? Will you come and do this? And I, I did, but it wasn't much. Anyway, a, two years ago now, I had a really um, very nasty, unpleasant, life-changing experience. I was rushed into hospital with tremendous pains on my chest. And to cut a long story short, I had pulmonary embolisms. That's blood clots on my lungs. 
and uh, I was misdiagnosed for three weeks. And in that time, or I, not really at that time, because I was too ill, but coming out of that, and then I broke four ribs and I was in bed on morphine for a long time. So I actually thought, we're not guaranteed here, you know. Um, I'd lost my brother at the age of 23 and I'd always gone, I have to make the most of every day. But I got to a point then where I started thinking, if I've only got a, a year to live, what do I want to do? And I thought, I want to do my one-woman show. So I worked really hard, tidied it up, uh, rewrote parts of it. I couldn't do it as a one-woman show per se anymore because uh, physically I changed. I'd had uh, problems, so I couldn't perform it in the same way as previously. So I rewrote it and um eventually found a really fantastic production company and we put a show together and we went up last year to london we went to the west end and performed in a place called cafe zedel which is the most incredibly beautiful um brasserie you can find outside of paris and it was a sellout and i had a standing ovation and uh two encores uh, as a result of that, we had four or five other shows, and this year was going to be my year of performing in throughout Britain, potentially New York, hopefully. I would have wanted to go back to a place I performed in, which was called uh, Don't Tell Mama. I wanted to sing in places like Glastonbury, the festival there, and also the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and uh, on sing on cruises all of this was doable all of this was doable and then covid happened so no more performing this year but i have to keep believing that um that next year potentially or maybe the year after and um who knows but I am with with the right people at this point in time. They are fantastic. They've been so supportive. And we made a little film. Uh, so you can Google it. The show is called Passionate About Piaf. We want to travel. We want to go uh, as far as we potentially can. I, I sang in a place called Don't Tell Mamas in New York, which is off Broadway. And I sang a couple of Piaf songs there. And... Um, I came to America, I've been twice. I came, I think about 10 years ago, and then the other time was about five years ago. And five years ago, we came to Scranton, which is in Pennsylvania, and there was something called the North America Estevod. And I, that word again, so it's a cultural festival. So I came to Scranton with the choir that I sang with. And so I'd already sung in Don't Tell Mamas, and I think that would be the ideal place to come and perform uh, Passionate About Piaf. So if you're interested, Google mm. and get in touch with Multishow Productions because they're the, the group that are running the show. But it talks about her life. It, um, she led a life of abject misery. She started singing on the street when she was seven years of age. She was accused of murder. She had a, a child when she was 17 who died. She conquered America. She was very famous throughout America at one time. She played at uh, Carnegie Hall. She had nine standing ovations there. She also performed in Cuba. So, you know, she is an icon and I love singing her songs. And I don't try and uh, 
be like her. I just perform them as I, you know, it is a tribute to her, but it's not um, Gwen was trying to be Piaf because I'm not. I, there's only one Piaf. There'll only ever be one Piaf. That was beautiful. I hope to see that show one day. You know, one it goes out on the on the web. Go and check it out. Yes, I will. Now, one thing that you told me when we chatted beforehand that really got me excited about this was you've done some mission work. Am I correct? Well, we don't call it that here mm. in Britain, and um, um, but I, I take it that mission means charity. Yes. Well, we're always brought up because, you know, we're, we're a Christian society and I went to chapel when I was a child and always was always um, brought up to to do charitable things, you know, and to help people. And I've always tried to do those things. Well, so throughout my life, I've done things like um, I've run um, half marathons and raised money for different charities. Uh, I've sponsored children. I've always sponsored girls because I'll tell you why. Years ago, I went to Morocco and we were in Marrakesh and uh, a door opened and I could see this tiny child. She couldn't have been more than about three or four and she was making carpets at that age. And it just really hurt me at that time to see a child who should have been thinking about potential, well, should have been playing, but maybe potentially going to school. So I've always um, wanted to sponsor children and I've done it for a very long time. And there was one child I sponsored for about five years in Southeast Asia who I went out to visit. Uh, she was called Endang Lukita Ningram. And then there was another young uh, girl who I sponsored from the age of eight, and she was called Oraling Urbina Malaspin. And I sponsored her for 10 years in uh, Nicaragua, and she became a doctor. And mm. the most amazing thing happened last year. Uh, were I, as part of a television program. She's now moved to Spain and she's trying to find work there as a doctor. And last year I took part in a television program when, when I met her for the very first time and it was just so wonderful. And we're in touch with um, with Facebook, we're in touch with uh, WhatsApp. In fact, this morning we were going to do a Zoom but she didn't have Wi-Fi. So that's mm -hmm. something I felt very strongly about because... Had she not been sponsored, she would probably still be, you know, working, you know, in a clothes shop. Her mother works, you know, she worked as a cleaner. So, you know, to give somebody that potential is just so, such a wonderful thing to be able to do. Um, another thing I do is I need scarves for the homeless. Mm. And I call them rainbow scarves. So if anybody's interested in finding out more about that, um, Google well, no, Rainbow Scarves on Facebook. Uh, there's also, I started um, developing a women's leadership project with a place called Kakuma Refugee Camp in Kenya. And we've had a couple of false starts because um, the technology that we, we need is, is not really where we need it to be. But the whole idea, again, is to work with uh, female development because I am passionate about developing women to their full potential and that's what I do as a coach uh, and my coaching is another thing I'm passionate about because I love opening doors for people I love enabling people to be the best uh, possible form of themselves and I, I love destroying those uh, uh, false beliefs that people have about 
what their capabilities are and showing them that they can do whatever they set their mind to if they really truly truly want to that was beautiful it does sound like you've done a lot of charity work i love that you're continuing it you've told me you're setting up something you're setting up a refugee camp and that's what we need no no no, oh, no. The, the refugee camp has been set up it is oh. the, it is probably the third largest in the world it is huge it is absolutely huge wow. um yeah it's there that is there but what i want to be doing is i want to be coaching by zoom and coaching potential female leaders and um one of the things i do with my coaching is I've, i'm a passionate believer that if you're um great leader you will also be a great public speaker so those two things are entwined and i do a lot of uh, public speaking coaching for potential leaders yeah and this is what my aim is to be doing with uh, the kakuma uh, camp is to enable women to take their roles of leadership in the camps and enable those women to be fantastic role models for younger women um so that's what i want to achieve but that could be in the next three years it won't be overnight especially at the moment because everybody is so so um stultified and so uh they're just really locked in with the the covid so i can't go anywhere cardiff is under uh, lockdown mm. so it does really limit you tremendously Mm -hmm. one thing i always ask my buddies who come on this show is if you could have our audience donate to one charity of your choice what would it be and why it would be a cancer charity uh it would be the one based in wales because i um i lost my brother to hodgkin's disease many years ago uh, i raised lots of money for in the imperial uh, cancer research fund and also i do race for life and stuff like that but the money doesn't stay in Wales, it goes out of Wales. And I want that money, if people were wanting to uh, contribute to a fund, that they contribute to something that stays in this country. Um, uh, Wales and Pennsylvania have a very close link, really, because a lot of Welsh people went to Pennsylvania, uh, which is something we can talk about in a minute, maybe. But mm -hmm. So for me, it would be a cancer research fund. Uh, we have a hospital here called Valindra, and my sister was unfortunate enough to have uh, bowel cancer but fortunately she came through it so two members of my close family have had cancer a very uh, wonderful friend uh, died of uh, cancer recently um my mother and father-in-law died of cancer it's come close to i've had cancer on my nose you know um it's one in four of us will get it and one in three of us, I think, will die of it or is it the other way around? I can't remember. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome that you want to give something that's been impacting your family, you know, that you, you're passionate about. It. You're not just, yeah, let's just give it to the kids or whatnot, you know. No, no. Something that no. You, that's something that's truly impacted you and that you've put your heart and soul into. That's what I love about this show. Yeah. When people yeah. have those types of charities. One thing I wanted to also ask you was, um, you're, you mentioned this earlier, your public speaking and leadership. Yeah. Let's talk about that. Well, as I said, uh, I think leadership and public speaking go hand in hand. And during the lockdown uh, time, uh, 
obviously, I wasn't going to be doing a huge amount of public speaking um, coaching uh, or any sort of training this year because that, that what I wanted to do was to go out and perform, get it out of my system once and for all and be happy that I've taken it as far as possible. But that wasn't possible. So the very first day we went into lockdown, I thought, how can I help others and how can I help myself? Because I'm not very good at um, not doing anything. I'm not very good at all at just sitting still. So I decided I was going to do something called the Alternative BBC, the Bathroom Broadcasting Coach. So I found the only wall that is clear in my house, and that was the wall in the bathroom. So I did bite-sized chunks of... Um, of uh, coaching to anybody that they could use them wherever they are in the world and that's if they if you google hashtag um, the alternative bbc um hashtag bathroom broadcasting coach that will bring up lots of bite-sized coaching tips but going back to what your original question was because i have a very nasty habit of going off tangent <laughs> i'm aware of it but so i've also during lockdown time, I've created um, a foolproof method of coaching anybody, anywhere, anytime, any place through Zoom on public speaking. I'm not going to tell you how it works because otherwise people will go off and uh, use my methodology, which I'm not sharing <laughs> because I want to work with all you people out there. But it does work and I've had tremendous results. I love it. I've done... Um, I've also worked with Skype. I've worked with uh, people in Los Angeles, uh, also Chicago, um, Luxembourg. So I do all sorts of things, really. Uh, it's My coaching is very tailor-made. So, for example, there might be somebody who wants, who's just had a new job. They're facing things like they don't know how to... Um, you know, be assertive. They don't know how to, you know, work with their time assertively, uh, give orders, all of those things that make a good um, uh, leader. I will work on them, um, trying to find out where their, their weaknesses are, and then we'll work on those issues. Um, I've run courses with um, huge groups, uh, with the Royal College of Nursing, the National Union of Teachers, all sorts of environments where... I do things like uh, how to network effectively, assertiveness courses, bullying and harassment, um, public speaking, conference courses, all of those things. But what I really want to work on now is the Zoom coaching because it doesn't make any sense to do it any other way. It's very effective. You don't have to travel. You don't have all of the hassle. You can work with anybody, anytime, anywhere. And it really, really works. So, so long as you've got an internet connection, I can work with anybody anywhere. Where you know, whether that's Pennsylvania, Chicago, you know, I mean, I zoom very often with Lou. I um, I haven't zoomed recently with uh, Jeff Scott, but I zoom all the time with people. It's so wonderful. So that's one thing. One of the um, the silver linings of this crisis. There aren't many, but it is. It's forced us to think of new ways of working. There, where we can actually be in contact with people, but from our own homes. And I like that very much because um, I like traveling as much as the next person, but only if I find something interesting at the end of it. I don't particularly want to be traveling up to London to deliver some coursework where I could be doing that here. 
So it saves a lot of time. Oh, I'm losing. Sorry, I, I, sorry, I had myself muted oh, because the dog was breaking. Oh, okay. here. Where can we find the these courses? Like, how can if someone were interested in taking some of these courses, what would they, they have would to Google do? Google GwenoDavid.co.uk. Mm -hmm. Or you could Google, That's you could just Google YouTube Gweno David because there's loads and loads of testimonials there. There's a bite-sized um, alternative comedy, um, the bite-sized alternative BBC is there, uh, as are lots of stuff about my coaching. Um, I just did a thing last week on television where I was um, doing an item about empty nesters because they're going back to college and some people don't quite know how to deal with that so there's tons of stuff out there on both um uh, youtube gweno david and www.gwenodavid.co.uk plus mm -hmm. i'm also on linkedin plus i'm on facebook and the other thing i did on facebook was i set up a group called gweno david leadership and public speaking coach and what i was doing there and that might be helpful for some of you um viewers is i put all sorts of free uh resources there things that you could use uh that could keep you going throughout this crisis because some of us don't do well on our own and we need to have things to keep us busy um i'm always busy uh and to be honest i haven't had an opportunity to look at any of those things i put up there mm -hmm. Now, one thing that you mentioned before, and I think this is a really, really, really great fact. You have a particular distant relative that has a connection here to the United States where I am. Yep, absolutely. Maybe not quite in, in your state, but not mm. far off. Um, as I mentioned earlier on, a lot of Welsh people came from Wales to Pennsylvania. The reason they came was because... Um, we had two huge uh, industries in Wales in the last century, and that was the slate, uh, slate quarries and the coal mines. And, of course, in Pennsylvania, you had coal mines. So a lot of coal miners uh, and, um, and the slate workers came from Wales to Pennsylvania, settled there. Some went a bit further into the interior, and some of my family uh, went to Ohio and... Um, there's a lot of educators in my mother's family. My mother's family is called Beb, and uh, they have two big interests, apparently. The one is politics and the other one is education. And one of my, um, he was uh, the brother of my great, 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 great grandfather. And he set up a little school in Ohio. And so William Beb, who later became Governor Beb of Ohio, was raised and slept in a papoose and uh, the, the local um, indigenous uh, um, people, the children went to the school alongside my, William Bebb and his mother taught the indigenous children in that school. He later became um, a political agent for Abram Lincoln, I believe. And as a result of that, he was rewarded with the governorship of Ohio. There's a big, big park in Ohio called Governor Ohio Park. And um, I would love to go there. And maybe one day I will. I, I didn't realize it was so close to Scranton, really, uh, because we were so, so close. 
But then again, everything in America is not very close anyway. You know, like mm -hmm. when I say close, I mean half an hour down the road. I don't suppose it's that close, is it? Nope. Nope. Not at all. All yeah. right. That was beautiful. I hope to see that park too one day, and I'm glad you have that American tie, you know, that. Yeah. And also there's another family. I don't know if it's the same family or an offshoot of it. It must be the same family because they came to visit my parents in uh, they lived in Anglesey, which is in North Wales. Check it out. Google it. It's gorgeous. It's wonderful. All of Wales is gorgeous. I am their ambassador. In fact, I am the St. David's Day ambassador for an organization called America Marie. So check that out. Uh, Wales is stunning. You need to come here. You really do. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. It's full of history. It's full of music. It's, oh, we have some tremendous, tremendously talented people here punching way above their, their weight. So anyway, going back to Anglesey, so these people, I think I was about two or three at the time, and these people came over from uh, America, I'm not quite sure where, but they had nurseries, and they were a big, big nursery, and they had a, a, a camera which took uh, colour photographs, and my mother still has those photographs to this day, you know, and they were the very first colour photographs that we'd ever seen, so they were, woo! So... <laughs> Yeah. It's really beautiful. Now, I'm going to ask you two questions that I ask all my buddies that come on the show. The first one is, in your own words, how do you define a buddy? Or a friend? So, or... Someone you can rely on mm -hmm. in good and bad times. I think that covers it all, really. Mm. But I have to say that the next book I'm intending to write is called... Um, be a best buddy because I do believe that you have to become your own very best friend because you are the only person you will have a relationship with your entire life. So make sure that the relationship you have with yourself is one that you would want your best friend to be. Uh, there's a lot of self-hatred out there and I've been uh, guilty of it myself in the past, um, but I understand things better now and I'm not. You know, I, I really love myself. I'm a kind human being. I know who I am. I know where I'm going. So that is not a problem. But for many years it was. And um, I think you really have to have a great relationship with yourself, first of all, before you can be a good friend to anybody else. So, you know, someone that you can rely on in good and bad times. And also it is crucial. You have to have a laugh with them because if you don't have a laugh with them, is not much fun right. and i have a giggle bird uh, a giggle buddy and basically you may have been lucky enough to find a giggle buddy in your life but i have uh, a giggle buddy and we just crease each other up uh, my daughter's a bit of a giggle buddy as well because sometimes you just say something silly and we'll just look at each other and we'll just crease up with laughter so i think it's all to do with um Becoming happy, actually, the way to become happy is to make other people happy. So become that friend that you want people um, to have. And you can't go wrong, really. Yes. I love how you started out with it starts with loving yourself. Like the new, like that new Elton John song, I'm going to love me again. You know, just taking, like you said, take care of my very best friend. He was talking about himself. Yeah. Just, you know. Well, you know, your mother and father are, are going to love you to yeah. pieces. 
they yeah. really are obviously with a bit of luck if you're lucky because not everybody's parents do love them i do know people whose parents do not love them mm -hmm. but there is no feeling in this world like when your child is born you would kill for that human being so those two people will love you and your flaws whatever but they will leave you at some point you know so mm -hmm. you are the only person you will ever have a long lifelong relationship with so make it a good one mm -hmm. now i'm going to ask you this last question i call it the ultimate buddy cast buddy question with you i'm having a little trouble uh do you, you know digesting because you've got so much going on for you from being an author to doing mission work to just being a performer I think it all ties down what's your I think it all ties down to what's your advice for the world today like with all that you do what's your advice with just like if someone wants to be a performer a speaker an author do comedy do all that you do like I said I'm having trouble tying it all down to one thing like normally I'm it's in, easy like, you <laughs> just never ever give up never exactly. ever give up never because those things you want to do they will make you feel whole you know when i'm on stage and i'm entertaining and i'm singing and i just feel completely me you know and and, and i know that it's it's uh, it's not a altogether altruistic because i know that people are enjoying themselves as well but i just am so in my groove you know <laughs> and why would i ever give up on that i will you know i just have to be patient now i'm gonna have to you know in this time when we've had lockdown i've done something that i never thought i was going to do i've made a film as well you know and this is a film about welsh independence which is again something i'm passionate about so uh and i made a film i wrote uh three sets of songs and it was turned down for a competition but never give up never ever give up i was it took me 20 years to get my book um and a proper publisher i was turned down i don't know how many times if you think you've got something that you need to share with the world never ever ever give up never give up i love that <laughs> great advice thanks for helping me sum it all up because i'm like <laughs> normally i ask like a comedian you know, what's your advice for upcoming comedians or, you know, an author? What if someone wants to write a book or something? But like I said, you've got it all going on. So, but that's a perfect way to summarize everything that you've been through, everything that you've done. Just never give up. I and, never do. Yep. You know, I, others may, but I don't. <laughs> yep. yep. Never give up. I love it. Alrighty. Well, thank you so much for being a buddy here on Buddy well, Cat. You're very welcome. And may I yeah. suggest that you get in touch with Tanya Lee Davis because I think she'd be a perfect match for your program. I will. And mention my name because she is such a really kick-ass woman. And mm -hmm. uh, so, and the other thing I would say as another piece of advice is find your tribe. You know, find those people who actually believe in what you're doing. Find your tribe. They're out there. Find your buddies. Find your buddies. Indeed. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. I talked you. the hind legs of a donkey, as my mother would say. However, Don't I've had a great time. <laughs> Don't worry about it. I love it when my guests chat rather than 
DJ's asking a question. So, what's it like being an author? It's nice. Okay. No, I not like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All righty. To all my okay. buddies out there, I always leave the episodes with one piece of advice myself. Go be someone's buddy today. Great advice. Yes. We'll catch you next time here on BuddyCast. This was my buddy, Gwenno. Have a good day, everybody. I'm my buddy, Nick. Mm-hmm.